house. No, the right no, house. I didn't get We want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. So has the entire world. Just don't put us in jeopardy. I can't promise you that. To the pop of champagne. MGM Pictures proudly presents the story of a man who gave the world something to sing about. The song's about obsession. It's about being in love. It's dreamy. It's the Kevin Klein. Ashley Judd in an Irwin Winkler film. With performances by Cheryl Crow, Natalie Cole, Robbie Williams, Elvis Costello, Diana Krall, and Alanis Morissette. Hello and welcome to the Sad Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast struggling to cope with life back on Earth with John Hamm's lack of charisma. Every week on the Sad Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I am your host, Chris File, and I'm here, as always, with my angel of death with a lovely baritone, Joe Reed. I am, as always, ready to blow gabriel blow i don't know i don't know <laughs> happy pride i feel like there's like knowing first when you first learn that cole porter was gay and then you go through like all of the like f- famous standards or whatever of his and it's just like picking out little like innuendo like tee innuendo stuff feels like a gay rite of passage that it's like everybody general goes song analysis point. you know it's like i wonder if a dandy fellow wrote this song right can't imagine. I mean, I don't, Lord knows what, like, that, you know, people weren't making, like, snickering tops and bottoms joke back then. But, like, to write a song called, you know, If I'm the Bottom, You're the Top is, like, it's it's a gift to modern day sensibilities is what it is. You know what else is in uh, Cole Porter's songs? A lot of racism. Yeah. Yeah, I was talking about that the other day with just, like, talking about the, the Anything Goes revival that I really, really loved. Um, but that is a show where lots of racism was trimmed out of the last uh, revival, but probably could have been trimmed even more. Can't imagine uh, how that is not the case. Yeah. But we are here to talk about a Cole Porter biopic called uh, The Lovely. Uh, Joe, do you feel the sudden urge to sing perhaps uh, the kind of ditty that evokes the spring? Yes, but in a way that really, really emphasizes the fact that I am a modern day singer whose like sensibility doesn't really track with, you know, American standards in that way. Yes, that's that's what I'm in the mood for. Very true. God love the people who they got to sing these songs. But the variance in terms of how well and like I don't I wish this movie was a little more like not necessarily like Moulin Rougeified, but like played into the idea that it was having like these sort of modern day voices sing these songs, but like it's not quite. It really is trying to sort of play on the idea that like we're taking these modern day singers but we're putting them in the box of traditional thing and it's just like it doesn't always work some you don't think that that's informed by moulin rouge happening 
I think it doesn't go far enough in that direction is what I'm sort ah, of okay. saying. Okay. Do you know I what I mean? Yes. You think that the, the vision is a little uh, watered down. Well, I think it just sort of stops short from being weird enough to work, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like, like, let Alanis, like, really, like, go full on Alanis. It feels like they're sort of, like, roping Alanis in. And, like, you want her standing in the street naked with long, stringy hair singing Cole Porter songs. <laughs> That's exactly what I want. Okay. Um, no, but you know how, like, Alanis is Alanis because of her songwriting and because of her, you know, attitude and everything. Like, she's not really known as, like, a vocalist's vocalist. She has a very kind of peculiar voice and that's really uh, emphasized when she's singing something like Let's Do It, Let's Fall in Love. And I think the movie could have made that work if it had really leaned into it, but I don't think it does enough, if that makes sense. I don't know if it needs to, like, go weird or be, like, this fully modern thing. Like, I'm kind of okay with that number specifically and how like her voice is so very particular and very modern but yeah. like i kind of like it it does feel a little fresh to me but that's also like the best sequence in the movie it is so it is it maybe it's not the to me the best like jumping off point to say what doesn't work about these musical sequences but like i wish that it was as enjoyable to watch as that musical number um yeah there's I think there's so much about this movie that I want to work a lot better than it is because I like a lot of the component parts. I like both Klein and Ashley Judd's performances. I like at least some of the, you know, guest song performances and even the like conceit of um you know, we're going to tell Cole Porter's life as if it was a musical itself, which is a cool conceit that I don't think they keep up enough yeah you know like I mean? it needs to be more uh whimsical or like every time or... yeah every time we're back in that theater with jonathan price uh famous you know husband of a wife uh jonathan price um i'm like oh right we're doing this you know what i mean like oh yes 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 that's 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 what... because like when when that isn't specifically around it just feels like you know, a regular biopic that is kind of peppered with these interludes that are songs. Right. Well, the that framing device, like, yes, it's not used as enough. You could have very probably easily cut it out, except you would right. lose uh, Jonathan Price doing Blow Gabriel Blow. Right. Um, maybe what it's we a- needed was Jonathan Price just doing Blow. <laughs> And then doing yeah. Blow Gabriel Blow. I mean, you know, make it work. Make it happen. Um, I think my issue that's kind of uh, adjacent to what yours is, is not that it doesn't make any, like, musical sense and it kind of doesn't follow through on, on its, like, uh, you know, narrative thrust, I guess, mm-hmm. is that you have a lot of these... I want almost more Alanis. I either want more Alanis-style performers in this movie, or I want more Natalie Coles in this movie. Because, like, those are the two extremes, right? Yes, yes. One very standard, one very not standard, yeah. Yes, and there's a lot of middle ground of these people who, whether or not they do it in their music outside, they're trying to 
like perform old timey yeah. song stylings, right? Like Robbie yeah. Williams. Right. Um, and I mean, Robbie Williams's vibe, especially at that point in his career. Well, right. I don't. I'm trying to rem- trying to track Robbie Williams's career, but like, there was a point where Robbie Williams is like, my thing now is I'm going to dress like James Bond at all times. And yeah, like will uh, not will it, not the Willennium, but Millennium. Right, that era. Um, so like that feels like natural, like a natural extension of that. But yeah, your Elvis Costellos. Your, well, uh, I mean, in fairness, Cheryl Elvis Crows. Costello, they just showed up at his house. He just does that all the time. <laughs> that's that's just, that they just let a camera go and Elvis Costello was doing Let's Misbehave. Right. This was the entire group of guest singers that 30 Rock then just, like, adopted en masse to sing the Kidney song from, uh, <laughs> from that one episode. <laughs> They just added Cindy Lauper to it. Cindy Lauper would have been if you really wanted to go like weird. If you really wanted to lean in that direction, Cindy Lauper would have been a cool one to uh, to have. All respect to Carolyn O'Connor as Ethel Merman, but let Cindy Lauper be Ethel Merman. Fuck yeah, that would be amazing. Actually, Carolyn O'Connor is really good. (laughs) She is. Anytime anybody does Ethel Merman, though, it's so because it's just like there's never any doubt. This just like everybody does that one little like sort of like brassy warble, and it's just like, yep, that's who it is. Isn't she known for doing Ethel Merman? Is she? I don't know. I could. Mm, I'm sure someone will yell at me. She's Probably. maybe why I was thinking about Moulin Rouge at times too. Because, right. Uh, right. How long have we been threatening to do this movie? A long time. We've talked about it a lot. Uh, it's it, been it, in listeners' choice polls. We it, it shows well up in, in conversation. Like listeners' choice poll. Yeah, whenever we talk about like the O four Golden Globes, it's there, sort of lurking. We've already done an Irwin Winkler Kevin Klein co production uh, before with uh, Life as a House, and yeah, it comes up a good bit. It's and it's funny. It comes up a lot for a movie that I neither love nor loathe. You know what I mean? It sits very much sort of in the middle for me. I remember. I mean, I was in high school when this came out. I remember seeing it. Saw it with my grandmother. Brad. We had a wonderful time. Immediately went out and got the soundtrack, and like everything evaporated from my mind in the movie. Uh, and seeing it again, I'm like, oh, I understand why people say that this was uh, horrible. <laughs> I don't know if I if I get horrible though. Like I think there's I think there's a lot of stuff that doesn't work. But I don't know if it ever like like falls to dips to the level of horrible for me. I don't know if I'm ever going to watch it again on purpose. I think twice is probably enough. Yeah, yeah, you're probably you're But sad. I don't um, think you're... the lovely just jumps out from behind a bush and makes you watch it. Right. Well, it is funny, because watching it, I was just like, I've definitely seen this movie before. I absolutely remember seeing this movie before. And then, like, so much of, especially, like, that first half hour, I'm just like, have I seen this movie before? Because, like, it's, it's you know, it was very, uh, felt very new to me. Well, and in fairness, you've also seen this movie many, many, many times before, because it hits every single beat that movies like this do. Which is why I think we're saying we want it to, like, lean into more of those devices or lean into the musical numbers so that it can feel fresher or like the things that are unique about it you want it to lean into those things because nothing is unique about this movie there's like the gay aspect of it i suppose 
Well, we'll definitely talk about that because I definitely have some thoughts. Um, there's this kind of self-perpetuating biopic thing where we have in our minds what a biopic is. And we always sort of struggle against the borders of it. We want, we say we want biopics to be different than what they are and to like break out of the mold. They can be so formulaic, blah, blah, blah. I think all of this is true. And yet we, and I, when I say we, I mean like the culture, look to stories from people that fit that biopic mold and be like, they should have a biopic. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like if a person's life has infidelity, drug addiction, tragedy, you know, if, you know, a horse fell on someone's legs, if, you know, you know, secretly gay, blah, blah, blah. It's just like, oh, does that person's life sort of follow the beats of biopics that we've seen? Then they should make a biopic about them. It's this, it's this, you know, snake eating its own tail kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. And I think it's part of the sort of inescapability of a lot of these biopic cliches is we look to people whose lives have biopic cliches to make biopics about them. And not that there shouldn't be a movie about Cole Porter. He's an incredibly influential and, you know, fascinating person. But I think there was probably somebody who just looked at his life and just been like terrible horsing accident, uh, you know, wife dies of a disease. Obviously, you know, their marriage was complicated by sexuality and yada, yada, and they're just like, we got to make a movie about that person's life. Absolutely. We got to hit all those beats. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't feel like I necessarily learned that much about Cole Porter. Or Linda Porter, really. And this movie gives you a lot of Linda, but it's all this very sort of like, it's a very much a beatification of her mm -hmm. in a way that like I don't think serves her as well. And I don't like I think Ashley Judd is giving a great performance that could have been even better if you take the halo off of Linda a little bit. Right. Like they 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 portray her as this like infinitely patient divine. And, right. And like, you know, light of his life, love of his life, despite the fact that he's homosexual, which makes her like, you know, the movie sort of like treats her as like, what a woman to be able to be the love of this man's life, even though he's a homosexual. And it's and just like... probably like not to like, uh, you know, armchair philosopher people who are dead um, and have been in the situations they've been in, but like, she also married him at a time... Like she'd had a divorce when yes. like people didn't have divorces and she'd had that divorce because she was so horrifically abused. Yeah. So like yeah. you could see, especially in that time, you know, how this would have been a more like, you know, viable option for her, um, right. which is all like horrible, but speaks to what you're saying in that, like, you take the halo off of this person who is presented very much like this wounded angel that we don't get that much information about, mm -hmm. and, like, that's an incredibly interesting layer. Then again, it's also trying to be a lighthearted jukebox musical about Cole Porter. <laughs> right. <laughs> With his own music. Um, and so. th it's also... The movie starts out when we're still in that sort of opening prologue with Jonathan Price in the theater where they're setting up the conceit. It takes a long time to set up a conceit that kind of comes and goes. That's another mm -hmm. sort of problem I would have with it. But she's the one who enters singing Anything Goes. And 
it's sort of like it's Linda, but it's not Linda. You know what I mean? It's the Linda of sort of like Cole's, you know, memory construction and whatever. And she doesn't sing again, I don't think, right? In the film? Yes, she does. She plays uh, piano. The, yes. I forget the name of the song. The song where uh, their right. friends are like, oh, this doesn't sound like anything you've ever written. And blah, yes. Blah, blah. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I don't know. I still maybe would have liked to have seen more of her singing because I was very impressed by it. Um, I just. Meanwhile, I do Kevin Klein, who's Jack. playing Cole Porter, who. I, I think they say several times in the movie, Cole Porter had a range of three notes that he could right. sing. And right. Kevin Klein has an amazing voice. So. Right. And he like corralled himself in for the role. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, I was reading, I was, I was doing my research and it said that Kevin Klein has two Tony Awards and I meant to look up what they were for. And now. Didn't he recently that. get one of them? Yes, he did. You're absolutely right. the first right. one for Pirates of Penzance? Oh, I bet or you're right. something like that. I bet you're right. Let's Pretty see. sure he had his Tony close to the time that oh, he won he's his a, Oscar. He had won two Tony Awards by the time he made this movie. His third one was for Present Laughter in 2017. Gotcha. Um, for a play. But he had two for musicals. He was... Um, he won Best Featured Actor in a Musical in 1978 for On the 20th Century. And then, yes, Best Actor in a Musical 1981 for The Pirates of Penzance. Very good. Yeah. So within right. a decade of his Oscar. Yeah. Delightful, should... delicious, de lovla. <laughs> de plot description. Um... <laughs> Delightful, delicious, DMDB game. <laughs> Twelve years a slave. <laughs> lovely (laughs) all right um let me bring up my notes so de lovely uh do we want to just we've kind of talked a little bit already about the movie as we are prone to do just jumping right into it but uh we can uh, let's move on to the plot description and get back into the movie once again Mm -hmm. we are here to talk about de lovely directed by erwin winkler uh written by jay cox starring kevin klein ashley judd jonathan price kevin mcnally sarah murphy and then a whole host of guest appearances uh including robbie williams cheryl crow we will get into it uh alanis (laughs) morissette carolyn o'connor um elvis costello as one of those uh floating arm tube wind machine mans (laughs) Um, Natalie Cole, Diana Krall, and John Barrowman. The movie opened July 4th weekend in limited release and expanded from there. Wow, timely. Very timely. Joe, do you think you would like to give a de plot description? Yes, I would. Make it delightful, make it delicious, uh, make it in... Just 60 60 seconds. seconds. (laughs) Uh, If you are ready, your 60-second plot description for DeLovely starts now. All right, we begin this particular begin with Cole Porter at the end of his life, dying with an angel-slash-theater producer played by Jonathan Price, showing him the events of his life in the form of a musical, kinda. This starts when Cole meets Linda Lee, the woman who will eventually become his wife and his life's great partner, even though he is decidedly homosexual, and she knows this, and we're all gonna be cool about it, right? Porter finds big success on Broadway and in Hollywood, working with the likes of Irving Berlin and Louis B. Mayer, and throughout the film we see his most famous songs performed by the likes of 
Williams, Alanis Morissette, Cheryl Crow, Diana Krall, Natalie Cole, etc. Cole has numerous affairs with men along the way, and despite the, his arrangement with Linda, this begins to wear on her just as her chain smoking begins to wear on her lungs. Cole gets into a terrible horse riding accident and his legs are crushed, nearly requiring amputation, but he pushes through for another two plus decades. Ultimately, Linda dies, leaving Cole bereft, and he eventually grows cranky and isolated until we end up back at the beginning with the angel producer, and everybody performs Blow Gabriel Blow, and then shakes his hand, and then he dies. And that's time! Like, perfectly timed. Well done. Yeah. Perfectly timed like a music number or something. Indeed, indeed. Yes. So, I mean, there's not... There's not a ton of, like, plot plot. It's not like... You've I think seen it just the sort of like before you know what happens in this movie. He sort of just like traipses from like one thing to another. Um and a a lot of the sort of signposts along the way are marked by, you know, these song performances. It gets less into I don't think we see anything where he's just like, I gotta write anything goes. You know what I mean? I'm working, I'm struggling through it. I gotta write. There's really nothing about Kiss Me Kate, actually, that I thought was, I thought that was kind of interesting because that was such a big success um, for him. But uh, so I, I don't know if we see his life necessarily in terms of like the projects that he's doing necessarily more so than just like the songs he's contributing to each project and the way that those songs comment or don't comment on his life with Linda or his affairs with these various men folk. Here's a thing I wanted to ask you though. Do you feel we always sort of talk about movies that sometimes that we don't necessarily love, but that, we love the actors and the cast, and we sort of wish better for them. This is kind of the rare movie that, like, outside of Kevin Klein and Ashley Judd, I kind of wish the supporting roles in this movie were cast maybe a level or two up from what they are. I feel like, and I don't want to, like, not just because it's not, like, name cast members. Like, I love a character actor as much as anybody else. But, like, I feel like this movie would have benefited from really good character actors in these roles of like Irving Berlin and Louis B. Mayer and, and even, you know, the, even if they're just there for a scene, you want even someone like we're the type of people. And I think people who go see musicals are going to recognize, uh, character actors and such people that you've at least seen before. And like, this is no shitting on any of the other cast, but I get what you're saying because like, give me a Bob Balaban, babe. Like, come on. Like, I, I, you know, it feels very untethered to anything outside of Cole and Linda. Um, even to the point where like the Louis B. Mayer scenes sound like they're dubbed. Like, it's very strange. Like, it's just like these, their performances are not really, are not really great. And I think because this is a movie where we have this sort of like, you know, cavalcade of other people who are supposed to be stars of their industry, right? Mm-hmm. And, I mean, no shade even to, like, John Barrowman, who at the time was sort of a thing for a minute. He was on that show Torchwood, the Doctor Who spinoff Torchwood, that was, like, very popular with a very sort of slim uh, section of genre fans. Like, Was he out at this time? Yes, he was. Okay. He was out, I'm pretty sure, from like from the time that he was doing Torchwood. I don't think I don't ever remember him being famous and not out. So like he was fa- like one of the like, you know, you know, on every cele- out male celebrity list, like he was on it. Um and great for him and like he's certainly like 
an incredibly, you know, talented and handsome man. I was never a Torchwood person, nor was I a Doctor Who person. So, like, uh, whatever, like, grain of salt. But he's never been that particularly compelling to me as an actor or as a performer beyond the fact that like he has a lovely voice and also is incredibly handsome in a very sort of like matinee idol from the forties kind of way. Like you get why, you know, he would get cast in something like this because you really do. You could like absolutely put him back into, you know, on a marquee in 1935 or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. But I don't find him particularly interesting. And I wanted to sort of revel in, you know, I love supporting performance performances. Well, and I wanted to revel here's in what it I think more. it is. And this is, I think it is actually a problem for the movie that kind of the movie doesn't know how to handle like having Alanis Morissette, Cheryl Crow, like musician titans come in and do these musical numbers it really and uh, the balance is wrong in terms of an ensemble because you have obviously the two movie stars you have like multi-platinum recording artists who won grammys and then character actors who you're very unfamiliar with very much so yes um it's it's it throws the movie off it's part of like those scenes that are not musical scenes that are just very kind of almost procedural in terms of a biopic aren't very good. Yeah. Yes. Like though there is the one actor who I have, I can never place him when I see him, but he's the one who essentially blacks blackmails. Oh, Kevin McKidd. Yes. Yes. Kevin Kevin McKidd. Yeah. He's a guy. He's like been in things. He's still on Grey's Anatomy, still on Grey's Anatomy after like 10 years. Like he's, Mm -hmm. um, even though so much of the fandom hates that character. Um, but yeah. And he was on Rome that I don't think that when did Rome, uh, debut i think that was after this film but like not too long after if i'm uh not mistaken hold on let me look that up really quickly rome yeah rome is the year after this he had been in um that movie bedrooms and hallways the the gay rom-com british gay rom-com bedrooms and hallways with him and james purefoy who was also on rome actually um bedrooms and hallways where's the bathroom i know it's such a hard movie to get a hold of um, although apparently now, according to IMDb, it's on Epics on Prime Video. So maybe I will, uh, but like I've been trying to, you know, um, I can't even like find a trailer for it on, uh, on, uh, YouTube, but, uh, it's, it's one I've been meaning to revisit for a while there. It's a really, really great cast and it's, you know, Harriet Walters in it, Simon Callow's in it, uh, Jennifer Ely, your great love, Jennifer Ely, Tom Hollander. Um, and it's just like, it's a, gay romantic comedy farce like it's great and um so he's one of the leads in that and yeah he plays this guy who initially sort of presents as a kind of a cole porter groupie sort of he's like Uh he's at the shows and he's making eyes at him and then he eventually snaps a photo of cole porter in a uh in a water closet with a gentleman uh, doing not having a little smooch, thing. having a, a smooch, a, a little discreet smooch, and then he says he's like, "Well, Cole wanted these porters 
these photos. <laughs> Cole wanted these porters. Uh, Cole, Cole probably these... did watch certain porters during his uh, during his life. Yes. Let me tell you, honey. <laughs> um, uh, uh, yes, he says that he intended to have those photos taken. He had like uh, a. Assi- I don't think he said he tired him. Anyway, these yeah. it wasn't like someone was sneaking photos of him. Which you have to imagine if that really happened that he was blackmailed with photos that Cole Porter took with another dude, there was probably more than smooching going on. One imagines so, yes. You know what I'm saying. I do. I do. There were and only I, fans. And they, they were, were only fans. It. They were <laughs> they were doing the 1940s equivalent of OnlyFans, yes, is what they were doing, yes. Oh, good um, but yeah, so then he like takes it to Linda and is like, would be a shame if uh, these photos got out. We wouldn't want anything to happen to... I don't know why I'm talking about him like he's a gangster now, but... Uh... By the way, I'm trying to start my own business that you could <laughs> underwrite. I only need one underwrite. Now he's he Mae West. also Mae West. He's absolutely Mae West as performed by Alaska. How many bones do you want? Oh. <laughs> See you after the show, Bubbles. Oh. Uh, yeah, that's uh, exactly what's going on. Um... Yeah, that's a good scene for Linda, I feel like. That's a good Ashley. Ashley Judd plays that scene really well, where she's both like, you know, in a in a in a tight spot, but then she's essentially just being like, How dare you, sir? Ashley Judd is so good. She's so good. She's just She is good so in this good. movie. I mean, yeah, like, I honestly think that she while we were complaining she didn't have enough to do and we didn't have enough to mention, I do actually think that she she has more weight to pull in this movie. She brings than a lot. Kevin Klein does as Cole Porter. That's interesting. I don't know if I would necessarily agree with that, but I think she brings so much to that character that I feel like it can feel that way. Do you know what I mean? It, yeah, I can, I can I mean, see. Maybe. Um, um, I just, I mean, I, I, I gushed about her when we did Double Jeopardy, and I'll, you know. I'll gush about her if we do any of her other movies. Obviously, at some point, you know, the Yeah Yeah Sisterhood will come a calling and we'll, uh, you know, we'll talk about that. I don't know. She's been in other things. Um, well, I mean, I just think that, I mean, maybe you're right that it is the performance thing and that she's the type of performer who can balance a lot of layers at once and play several layers at once and hasn't really gotten credit for that. But, like... Cole Porter in this movie is just like, I'm writing my songs. And she's like, actually, you know, a person, you know, like. I I feel like the movie calls upon her. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just saying, I don't feel like we know even how like Cole Porter feels about his own work from this movie. I don't know how he feels about being a gay man other than he enjoys doing so or being so. Um, I mean, like he loves Linda, I guess. He loves Linda, he loves the boys, he loves writing. But yeah, it all feels very uh, declarative sentence in that way. Yes. You're right. I just feel like my thing with Ashley, Ashley's character with Linda is like, we get a lot of like, Cole Porter will do a thing and then we'll cut to like, Linda looking sadly. And, you know, Cole Porter will make a career decision and we'll get to a scene where Linda is like, I don't like what the city is doing to you. Whether it's about like... New York or Los Angeles or Paris or whatever. And 
I mean, that's the story, right? Like the story is, and this is, but this is part of the reason why I say I wish the movie would take the halo off of her a little bit, because like, it's a more complicated thing than that. This idea that like they got married and of course our, our sympathies are going to fall to the sort of like, quote unquote, long suffering wife. Um, even though they like, they had this arrangement, all the cards were on the table from the beginning. He was like, I'm into men and she's like, cool, it'll be fine. And. She ultimately is less cool about that. And while that is very understandable, there's a lot of nuance to that whole, you know, argument about whether, you know, should, does he have a responsibility to be discreet about things? What does discretion mean? He has this one line he says, we're like, Oh, I wrote it down too. It was like, what is discretion but dishonesty wrapped in a little good breeding? And that's one of those things where like, I think we're supposed to sort of feel that that's a little bit of like self justification, but like it, it reflected to me a lot about, I mean, what, how do people use discreet, you know, these days when you talk about like when anybody describes themselves as like discreet on like, you know, grinder or whatever, all it means is just like, I'm going to act very masculine. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want anybody else to know what's going on. And oh, it's like, and so I, 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 I was, my sympathies were actually with Cole in those scenes where he was just like, this was, you know, the arrangement that we, came to we were all honest about it and i you know my 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 career my talent my whatever is not separatable it's not separable from the way i live my life the way i you know express my you know sexuality and Mm -hmm. enthusiasms and you know i was i he's basically was just like i was never discreet my life is never discreet and and a big part of me is like, and you shouldn't be like, you know what I mean? Live your goddamn right. life. And, but I think this movie, this movie's sense uh, sympathies definitely lie with Linda. And I feel like a more complicated movie would really kind of interrogate her about this arrangement they came into, the sort of like buyer's remorse she might have had about that. And what, you know, still have the stuff about like essentially the compromises that she makes to be with him who she loves, just like he is, you know, making choices to be with her who he no definitely does love. Like that's the point that this movie gets across. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I think this I think this movie kind of flattens out a lot of, you know, potentially well, thorny stuff. I especially related to him. Like it's afraid of it's a movie that's kind of afraid of allowing them to have an argument scene or like yeah, uh, and this movie comes out in terms of like gay movies and gay representation, especially for like this is you know the intended audience for this movie is probably a lot of you know blue hairs and like that. I oh yeah, very distinctly the remember Lincoln the Lincoln Plaza crowd for it. sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the Paris Theater crowd. Yeah, uh, absolutely. A Sunday matinee crowd. Love yes. them. Miss them. I cannot wait to see a movie with a bunch of old people again. Yeah. Um, but I think. I don't want to it maybe feels cowardly now but at the time I don't think this movie had a clear idea of what it really wanted to like how it wanted to have this conversation about like a gay man and a uh, heterosexual woman having a loving marriage that was essentially sexless or you know uh, he also engaged in sex with other men 
and like really interrogating what that means for him as a person because you you get that scene that you mentioned but like i don't know if it's intrinsic to the movie and also within like this kind of classic cinematic like visual language too which yeah. i think you can comp- contrast this movie with kinsey that came i was just about to say that year. chris I was just about to say that. I would have loved to have introduced the Cole and Linda Porter of 2004's De Lovely to, uh, to Professor Kinsey of 2004's Kinsey. Absolutely. Well, well, but like, obviously two very different movies, two very different intentions. I'm not saying that De Lovely needs like boners on screen like Kinsey has. No, um, but maybe a little bit of a, a recognition a more frankness, of a spectrum. A, well, yeah. A little and also, bit more yeah, um, yes. uh, what feels like an open conversation because I do feel yes. like it, wor- it works both ways. This movie doesn't know how to how gay to let it be. Yeah. Um, how, uh, you know, how to have the gay character uh, have some self-awareness of that and his, and like speak on it a little bit like he's he's gay in the way that you know uh even probably more um like palatable for audiences mm-hmm. like than the birdcage but it's also i think it's also a movie that's too afraid of us not being on linda's side yes like it's a movie that doesn't want us to be mad at linda for having complicated feelings about her husband being gay right I think that's right. And I think, like, that specifically is something that Kinsey threads incredibly well and isn't about, like, having a conclusive feeling walking away from that, but it's just allowing this marriage to have a lot of layers to it that, like, we're constantly, you know, in flux. Because, like, Cole and Linda don't have this marriage that it's like they only felt one way about their arrangement at all right. times. Right, exactly. But the movie doesn't allow us to like see the ebbs and flows of that. Once again, the hosts of this had Oscar buzz want you to know that Kinsey is rad and you should see it. Kinsey's a good movie. Kinsey's a good movie. All right. Um, yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think that's exactly sort of my take on this. It's so funny that you mentioned Kinsey. I was literally like ramping up to be like, I'm going to blow the doors off of this conversation with a Kinsey <laughs> reference. Nope. <laughs> Chris got there first. Very good. Um, all right. I want to get more into the musical performances because we sort of touched on it a bit. What are your best, what are your toots and boots, essentially, of the uh, of the performances? Well, okay. So uh, Natalie Cole's Every Time We Say Goodbye is like the best version of the song I've ever heard. Top two. Um, yep. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, you're saying that's top two of the week. Uh, yeah. whatever um uh i do really like alanis's song i feel like that's the one that a lot of like musical theater snobs want to like chase me out of the village with pitchforks it's the um, most memorable of all the performances like for... i mean it feels like the most distinct it's the one that feels yeah. like the movie's yes. doing its own fucking thing yes for once and like i it does know make that me I... want to see alanis morissette in a musical yeah and I don't then, know what kind of musical would be the best, but like, yes, no, no, I don't even mean that as a joke. Jagged I mean, just Little like, Pill, that terrible. Well, show. no, not that. I and I actually I enjoyed a good bit of Jagged Little Pill. Um, but I had someone explain the entire plot of it to me, and I, I. Well, I that's the worst way frozen. to experience Jagged Little Pills to have somebody like explain the plot of it to you. You yes. have got to be fucking kidding me with that show. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. 
in the moment, it, it there's some good stuff, and also I just love those songs so much. Anyway, it's just so cringy and try hard. I mean, yes, it is both of those things. It is definitely um, both of those things. But then I will also say, even though I made fun of him and called him an inflatable flailing limb man, um, Elvis Costello is wonderful. <laughs> I mean, he I think that shows up, man. Like, they what does seriously... he perform again? It's uh, um, he performs. Let's misbehave. Uh, let's misbehave. He yeah. is of the Robert Duvall and Widow school of like they <laughs> showed up at Elvis Costello's house, man. <laughs> I feel like every time we bring that up, that thing that I said about Robert Duvall, I feel a little worse that I like, it sounds like I'm saying like Robert Duvall is an unrepentant racist. And I really don't believe that that is true. So, um, I don't know. I'm going to choose to keep believing it. (laughs) Um, I get to make that choice. We as gay people get to choose our own reality. Yes. Um, (laughs) what did you think of Cheryl Crow's Begin the Begin? I mean, I don't really want to listen to Sheryl Crow sing that kind of music, but she does right. a good job. I don't like that song. It's a, it's kind of a droning kind of a song, right? It's just kind yeah. of snoozy. It's a very, like, it's, you know, it's endured, that song, you know, if only it's, it's a, you know, it's kind of a peculiar title. I don't think too many people know what, you know, the begin is really beyond the fact of that song title. Um, I had to look it up. It is perha- it is actually a style of music and dance, uh, similar to the rumba, according to uh, the internet. So, so it's this lethargic song about starting to dance. I guess. Um, Great. Yeah, not my favorite moment. It reminded me also of the fact that Cheryl Crow had a Bond theme sandwiched in between two way better Bond themes, and I don't think it's necessarily like. It's not necessarily her failing. Like, it's not her fault that her Bond theme was in between Tina Turner and Shirley Manson, like two of my favorites of, like, all time. Um, but Her Tomorrow Never Dies, I also felt was sort of similarly, like, it would get kind worse, of a snooze, though. right? It would get worse. Well, of course it would get worse. But I'm just saying, like, for that Before particular it got better. Moment, Sometimes things have to get worse to get better. And then got way worse again. <laughs> That's the trajectory of modern but Bond But then it got themes. really good again. I like the Billie Eilish one. I you, Can I tell you, much like most Billie Eilish songs, I've never heard it. You should listen to it. It is a good Bond song. I will listen. By the time that movie comes out, I will definitely listen to it. But like, that's not for many moons. So, um, yeah. What else? I am what going the- to predict right here, right now, on this podcast, that you will like it. I mean, I probably will. Like, I don't think that's, you know, I don't know if your odds are that, you know, lucrative, whatever, that you'll cash in on that. But yeah. What did you think of Diana Krall's, uh, uh, what did she even perform? It was just one of those things. Right, 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 right. And then they had the scene where she's, like, boozily, like, hitting on Louis B. Mayer. I'm just like, I don't know. <laughs> don't make Diana Krall do that. Like, Can we talk about how DeLovely is an unofficial um, Lilith Fair? Yes, actually true, right? Alanis, Cheryl. Canonically, it is an unofficial Lilith Fair concert. Diana Krall, yeah. Like, you know who would have been great, actually, in this movie is Paula Cole. <gasps> right? Oh my god. With a flower in her hair, just like in the Melissa Etheridge duets that I will watch on YouTube forever and ever. Um, 
Yeah, Paula Cole would have been rad. And Why isn't Emmy Lou Harris in this movie? Why? Why isn't Linda Ronstadt in this movie? Apologies to Cheryl Crow, but why wasn't that Sarah McLaughlin? Oh. Okay, literally, we're just going to go through the entire Lilithmere <laughs> lineup and, and just be like... decide if they should be in this movie or not. And just be like, Joan Osborne, let's misbehave. Why? Why not? Like, why didn't that happen? <laughs> you know how much I love Joan Osborne. Um, Joan Osborne, actually, I mean, you talk about a justice for whatever. Anytime... I'm so, God, I'm a nightmare. Anytime anybody mentions Joan Osborne in the same breath as the term one hit wonder, I'm like, first of all, and it's like 20 <laughs> minutes later, and I've emerged from a fugue state because like, I fucking love her. And she gets, she's so much more than what if God was one of us. God damn it. Um, Whatever. <laughs> Go look up her What this Becomes of the Broken Hearted from Standing in the Shadows nicer, of Motown. But- nicer to who? You? Not nicer. That's not what I meant to say. This is why you should not eye roll to stand culture because you have it in your bones too, sir. Yeah, but it's like I stand better things. I don't know. Um, I don't. What? Are, oh, you're talking about like with the pop girls? I I, I roll my eyes at stand culture over like Ariana not Grande. Just the pop girls, I guess. But you know. But yeah. Yes, I do. I admit it. Listen. We all have our things. I am settling quite nicely into the uh, young young Gen X sneers at the children thing. Yeah, I'm fine with that. I don't necessarily need to be young anymore. That's fine. You're an that elder time my life. Is... I'm sorry. I'm not. I will never oh let my you get away with saying God. you're Gen X. I am. We're not having this argument again. I'm not an old millennial. Stop trying <laughs> to make me an things. old anything. Calendars Jesus. Are things anyway old where is sean colvin in this movie old millennial i'll be an old murph before i'm an old millennial shut the fuck up <laughs> anyway <laughs> i was trying to bring us back talking about lisa loeb <laughs> it will all lisa loeb will always bring me back so yeah lisa loeb also would have been a great vocalist in this absolutely yeah can we talk about some of the other people who have also played the little affair before we bring it back to De lovely anna gasteyer <laughs> Did they bring her on as her uh Lilith Fair comic from uh from SNL? Was that the uh was that the gag? Maybe I think they like, probably wasn't was the that gag. with Molly Shannon? No. No, it was just her. She was Cinder Calhoun. It was on a it was on a minor stage. Um Dido. Oh, that's Dido early was there Dido. Well before Yeah. Um, Thank you. You know, the explosion. Right. Well before uh there will be no white flag upon my door. Right. Even um, before she sang the canonical theme song to Roswell. God, we're really uh, talking about Roswell a lot these last few weeks, huh? And by Maya, we, I mean me. <laughs> I would have loved to have seen Maya. Oh, Maya. Did she sing Take Me There? The uh, iconic song from uh, the Rugrats uh, uh, movie? That would be rad. I think the Rugrats movie was after this, though. She was in right. 99, it looks like. Right. Was that My Love is Like Whoa, uh, Maya? I don't know, but her love was like whoa. It was like whoa. It's officially true. Um, what else? Give me a, name some other Lilith Fair names. I will. Uh, I will have. A, I will have a sense memory of them. Tracy um, Bonham, I imagine, was probably Lilith Fair. I do believe I saw Tracy Bonham. Meredith see, Brooks. You can see some. Uh, Meredith Brooks was several years. Yeah. She just showed up and sang bitch and left, I guess. Would Imogen like, Heap have been Lilith Fair? Did she sort of get popular after that? Uh, no, that was... 
after. I don't see her, but like I'm not looking at the year they tried to bring it back. And oh, that doesn't count. Dates. I'm sorry, that doesn't count. Um, Obviously, Jewel was like an iconic founding member. Obviously, the Indigo Girls were like, mm-hmm. you know, essential. who wasn't Alanis Morissette, right? Because never went famously. Famously, because you know who else never did Lilith Fair, and kind of intentionally, because I'm pretty sure they asked her, was Tori. And Alanis and Tori toured together in the summer of 1999, and I saw them together. And it was, like, nice, but it was also, like, it was two shorter sets instead of, like, I would have rather either one of them perform a full set. And this was, like, prime, like, those were Tori's best live show years for me, because that's when she started, like, like the singer songwriter stuff in like really like intimate context were great. But if you're going to see her at like an outdoor amphitheater or whatever, which like this was a summer tour, like this was the era to see her in because like she had the band and like the songs had these really sort of like fuller arrangements. And it was really, really fantastic. That was the show that I saw at Darien Lake and, and, uh, and, uh, Darien Lake theme park in, in Western New York, which is where drag queen Darien Lake gets her, uh, name from. Um, where Tori's performing the waitress and like stops in the middle of it to like fully harangue an usher who was giving a hard time to a kid and like absolutely like stops the show. And it's just like, do you fucking mind? It was, it's like, it was a whole thing. Anyway, um, (laughs) it was quite the show. It was quite the show. Anyway. Yeah. So Alanis and Tori never did a little affair because they did their own thing. Good for them. But obviously like little affair informs. It's funny. Lilith Fair informs so much of my personality, I never went to Lilith Fair. Because I didn't have any friends who I could have gone to Lilith Fair with. You should have just gone. That concept was foreign to me at 17 years old. Like, there was no way I was going to go to Lilith Fair on my own, closeted 17-year-old. Like, that is... I would have been way, like, a far cooler and more self-possessed person than what I was to do that. Like, I'm telling you, pre-pandemic, I was all in on going to concerts by myself. Uh, Ever since I saw Mitski alone, it was amazing. I, 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 I love that for you. going to concerts alone. Honestly, for, like, for as much as the concept of going to a movie alone was also so foreign to me until I moved to New York city. And then I was like, what the fuck was my problem? This is the best way to see a movie. Like I, I fully believe that that is true about going to concerts alone, but now I'm well past my going to concerts years. Like that is the thing of the past, past, past. So, um, but yeah, I wish I would have gone to have seen a little fair show. That's like one of my great regrets. I know that was like the summer that I was like, you know, unself-aware, um, tiny homosexual who, well, not so tiny. I mean, preteen, preteen, preteen. Yeah, and I, I was a tiny, unaware, and, teenage homosexual. <laughs> uh, I wanted to go to the Spice Girls and Lilith Fair, and I had no concept uh, of concerts costing money, selling out. Yeah. Um, neither happened. That's why I'm bitter today. Well, many reasons I do think Lilith Fair would be one of my time machine options you know you get a time machine you don't go back and change anything it doesn't affect history you don't fucking anything up but you can go and experience something I do think I would choose Lilith Fair if you were given like three I'd make sure to go because you know the lineups sort of changed from like city to city like Sarah McLaughlin was at all of them sure I'm I'm, I'm not going to be a fool about this I'm going to go to the good one I'm going right. to one where Fiona's there. I was just about to say I would make sure that I would go to one where Fiona Apple was there. Yeah. Because exactly. I don't think she did that many. No. she And it was only the one year. 
that she did it. Right. Um, I now all I'm thinking of is those Entertainment Weekly covers in consecutive years that were Lilith Fair, and I'm trying to remember who was on each of them because the very first year was like Sarah, Fiona, Joan Osborne, and Cheryl. I think. Feel free to look this up to check my facts. And then the second year was Sarah Missy Elliott because Missy Elliott was famously mm-hmm. uh, part of the group for the second one. Um, who would have because been the first lineup was white as hell, right? Right. That was a big, big uh, criticism of that. Pretty sure it's just Tracy Chapman and India Ari of the headliners that weren't white. Yes, that sounds about right. Um, wait, so that second cover, Sarah McLaughlin, Natalie Merchant? Possibly. Are you looking at it? She's on the first uh, list of headliners. Oh, okay. All right. I'm going to look up the covers and see if I'm right once I'm done guessing. I think the second, I think the first one is Sarah McLaughlin, Cheryl Crow, Joan Osborne, Fiona Apple. I think the second one is Sarah McLaughlin, Missy Elliott, Natalie Merchant, and let's say Paula Cole. And now I will look this up. <laughs> this, this whole episode has been derailed to become a Lilith Fair side quest. Okay. Okay. But. Justice for me, I nailed it almost exactly. The first one is exactly right. Sarah McLaughlin, Cheryl Crow, Fiona Apple, Joan Osborne. The second one is, like I said, Sarah McLaughlin, Missy Elliott, Natalie Merchant, Paula Cole, but there's a fifth. Any guess who the fifth is? Is it a returning person? That I am not sure of, but this is like... But it's not returning from the previous cover. No, not from the previous cover. Very much like indie, like indie rock queen who like had like at this point in her career was just starting to go a little poppier, like a little poppier. She would go further poppier. Liz Fair is exactly right. Yes. I, my, I'm very impressed at my recollection for that. I'm not going to brag, but I'm going to brag. Like, yes. Uh, well, I will put it up on our Tumblr. Yeah. All right. Anyway, back to what are we talking about? Delovely. Okay. (laughs) Delightful, delicious. Delilith Fair. Yes. All right. Um, we should talk about the awards that this movie was up for. Because, like, it was definitely in the award season conversation mm-hmm. on a lot of kind of fronts. It got two Golden Globe nominations, one for um, Ashley Judd and one for Kevin Klein, both in the musical or comedy section. R.I.P. actors and actresses in musical movies now who just are not going to get that one little stray nomination anymore because the Golden Globes done fucked it up for everybody. Um, really is too bad. I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to stop bitching about this. If you think that people are not getting nominated for musicals anymore, I think that's not going to bear out. I'm not... Wait, You won't get James Corden nominated for The Prom anymore, and I think we can celebrate that. Yeah, but you also won't get Kevin Kline and Ashley Judd getting nominated for Delovely anymore. Sure, 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 sure. Do you know what I mean? You also won't get, like, for as much as, you know... Um, like Into the Woods is not great. Like Emily Blunt getting nominated for Into the Woods, I'm happy with. Like, and it wasn't going to happen at the Oscars. Like, I'm just saying, there is a middle class of movie musicals that are just going to not. Again, Anthony Ramos had a Golden Globe nomination already, like engraved on an envelope for him. And if we don't have a Golden Globes this year, it's not going to happen because he's not going to get an Oscar nomination, and it's going to bum me the fuck out. Well, that's all I'm saying. 
we'll, we are going to have something else rise up that is not um uh, uh you keep complex. saying that you keep saying that i will believe it when i see it all right um golden globe nominations that year so ashley judd is nominated that's an odd that's an odd odd category for musical or comedy that year the two who were nominated i don't think it's that odd I do. I think it feels odd because that is a winner that, while we talk about that actress, we do not talk about that performance. We do not talk about that movie. Right. We know that it has That's what I mean. Fans, but That's like, what I mean. That movie Julia doesn't exist anymore. not a real movie. Right. Annette Bening wins for Being Julia. She is nominally the biggest competition for Hilary Swank. In reality, there was no biggest competition for Hilary Swank. There was no way right. she was not winning that Oscar. Um, also nominated for comedy is Kate Winslet in Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. The best performance Huge in that Huge bummer. Category. She did not win that trophy right but again globe voters being globe voters that wasn't going to happen that was that nomination you know was kind of the reward for that we have two nominees for musicals one of whom being ashley judd and lovely the other being um iconic emmy rossum in the phantom of the opera who nothing about that movie is good but you know i uh i stick up for emmy rossum in other contexts so uh, I do not stick up for Emmy Rossum in the context of uh, Mini Driver I was shading just, her into the. I earth. was just about to mention that. Yes, absolutely. We uh, we stand with Mini on that one for sure. Um, go. What was even the context of that discussion? Where Mini she Driver was talking like, about actors that go big, and she remembers one time a uh, no. She was talking. Was she talking about Joel Schumacher? Somehow, it was very easy to discover that she was talking about Emmy Rossum. Yes. Um, oh, because... well, this is the uh, the print interview that she did. Yes, about Phantom of the Opera. Or tw- on Twitter. Saying or on that Twitter, right? Yes, it was on Twitter. A fellow co-star said that she, uh, Minnie Driver, she was going over the top, and the director said, "We don't pay you to go under the top." That's right. It was what after Jill Schumacher had died, and it was about her. Yes, another actor on Phantom of the Opera was complaining about her going too over the top. Obviously, she was talking about Emmy Rossum because someone then unearthed a clip from a THR roundtable from the year that Minnie Driver was nominated for The Riches and. Mini uh, driver basically shoving like the entire table in her mouth to prevent herself from saying, Shut the fuck up. Right. Emmy Rossum is one of those again, I love her in many contexts. I think her performance on Shameless was fantastic. I also love her in the film Beautiful Creatures. Anyway. I, yes, we do like Emmy Rossum. Um but Emmy Rossum at that THR round table was so up her ass about like her thoughts and feelings about being an actress and would like kind of go on and on and on and on. And there were just so many moments of like Minnie Driver like basically rolling her eyes at her and basically and oh I think it was the one where um I think I literally think that Emmy Rossum was just like I think drama is harder than comedy and Minnie Driver's like you think so? Like it was a very much kind of like that. <laughs> I could be wrong about the specifics of it, but like, okay. It so, like everything about those roundtables, we haven't talked about a, a roundtable in a while. A while. One of the most like annoying things about roundtable is like people taking screenshots of serious faces and like taking them out of context, and then immediately telling people, "Oh, this is what they mean by this. This is what they're thinking." Blah blah yes. blah blah. blah. Um, it is only true for Minnie Driver. You know exactly what she is thinking the right. whole time. My favorite of those, though, all of the like over the shoulder shots of Glenn Close staring at Lady Gaga at the 2018 roundtable, like those were all funny. 
like I thought those were all like incredibly uh, good. I have no idea what um, Isabelle Huppert we are talking about here in terms <laughs> of turning it entirely into my own. Yeah, I can't person. imagine somebody turning an actress's reactions at a roundtable into a meme, Chris. I can't imagine somebody. That's do the that. joke, Darlene. <laughs> The joke is that, it, it, aside from just giving gold at every expression, uh, the joke is that everybody uh, thinks they know what someone means in those roundtables. And you don't fucking know. Listen, all I'm saying is, if a day goes by that you don't send me an Isabelle Luper roundtable reaction meme, I'm going to send the paramedics to your home to make sure that everything is okay. Because Just so clearly... you know, I've got some good ones saved that I have not unleashed onto the world. <laughs> All right. Anyway, the fifth nominee that year was Renee Zellweger for the uh, horribly received Bridget Jones sequel, Bridget Jones, The Edge of Reason. Yes, I think that is a fairly insane category, like top to bottom. The variance from good to terrible is vast. And the fact that the least, probably the least memorable film of all of them is the one that won the uh, won the prize for Net Benning that year. Yes. Um Kevin Klein on the male side. I feel like that's a more explicable category just because you have Jamie Foxx the runaway Oscar winner that year. You have Paul Giamatti who was very likely sixth place for best actor that year for Sideways. Um Jim Carrey for Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, his most unheralded performance, which is bizarre cuz he's fantastic in that movie Mm -hmm. like all of the buzz went to kate winslet in that movie and she's great but like it's jim carrey's best work it's better than the two films he won golden globes for like it's Mm -hmm. he's fantastic he's fantastic in that movie um and then of course the uh (laughs) the sore thumb in this category is kevin spacey for beyond the sea and i know we just did a kevin spacey movie and we're not you know hankering to do another one soon but at some point i'm gonna force you to do beyond the sea because that movie is goddamn bonkers it's absolutely out of its mind the idea the the ego because he directed it's all ego that entire movie is just runaway ego the audacity that for kevin spacey yes on top of being a monster, to cast himself as Bobby Darren? Like, have you seen what Bobby Darren looked like? Kevin Spacey directed, co-produced, co-wrote, and starred in that movie. Like, that was his, like, that was his baby. That was his, like, life's work or whatever to, like, play Bobby Darren, a role that he is thoroughly unfit to play. It's it's wild. And it's so bad. It's just genuinely so terrible. Um, we have to do it at some point. Is all I'm going to say. Yeah. Klein and Judd in both of those categories are very much just like, I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to have a cocktail and I'm going to watch the like chaos surrounding me. Uh, Nobody thought that they were going to win. It was like the honor was definitely just to be nominated, but I'm glad that they both were. Yeah. I mean, it just like completely would have fizzled out from the summer, which like this is as a counter programming movie, this movie made, 13 million dollars which some things that we talk about it's like that's not a lot of money but for this movie like this movie did well yeah this was a uh, mgm movie which we you know there are precious few that well and i went back and looked and it had been since leaving las vegas excluding bowling for columbine which is its own thing right um mgm wasn't nominated for anything wow yeah oh that's leaving las vegas now I want to look that up. That's incredible. That's an incredible stat. Jesus Christ. That's 10 years. That's 
Almost yeah. exactly. Almost that's nine years. But that's go and crazy. look at like the kind of movies that they were making. They were making a lot of bombs, and they were making a lot of like mid-range pictures. Like right. Their, 20, like MGM, their 2004 and, lineup was Barbershop Two, Agent Cody Banks Two, Destination London, um, Walking Tall, the uh, the um, the remake starring The Rock and Johnny Knoxville, Soul Plane. Oh yeah, sleepover, which I don't know if I. That seems like it's like a teen girl comedy thing. Um, Wicker Park, which was a, a Josh Hartnett thriller, I believe. Oh, and Rose Stalker Byrne. thriller, right? That was the other movie besides Troy that Rose Byrne and Diane Kruger were in together. That's a <laughs> trivia question I shouldn't give away. Actually, that's a great trivia question. Is what were the two movies in two thousand four that starred Rose Byrne and Diane Kruger? Nobody would ever get the second one. Um, and then that's their two. And then Delovely. That's their two thousand four. Yeah. That's wild. What would be their next uh, Oscar nominee? I wonder. I could go back and look. It's going to be interesting. Like the whole history and the ebbs and flows and the constant like uh, bankruptcy, you know, threat of bankruptcy for MGM is like so much history that even I do not have. Um, But it's really interesting seeing, especially with the partnership that I'm still not quite sure how like what it is if it's existing in name or not with annapurna that's Mm. happening like we will absolutely have an mgm united artists uh oscar nominee this year they have house of gucci they have um what else do they have mgm will exist in it's going by form. United Artists now. I don't think that I think it's like MGM is the production company, but United Artists is distribution. But this is what I mean. Like MGM as a brand will exist in some form probably forever, but like whether it does anything, you know what I mean? Like whether it's just right. sort of a you know a like a how Orion has for the past thirty years. I feel like I'm seeing Orion more and more though now yeah. as like yeah. a legit They've had some VOD successes. They had God's Own Country. Right, right. They're going to be releasing Gerard Carmichael's movie. Oh, the one that I didn't like very much at Sundance? And me either. Yeah, it's too bad. Although, again, justice for Christopher Abbott. He's great in everything. Um, Most importantly, uh, Delightful, Delicious, De Lovely won the uh, Movies for Grown Ups. <laughs> Best uh, movie time capsule. The mo- I, okay, is that a this- category they have every year? Was that just like because that think year they bring had- it back sometimes? But they always put some unhinged shit in this. Okay, so the lovely wins best movie time capsule. That's that's appropriate, right? Other nominees: The Aviator, Beyond the Sea, The Notebook. You understand all of those. What was the other movie nominated? Vera Drake. Best time capsule, psychotic. psychotic. Vera Drake. Don't we Remember all long for the days when of you used to get a back alley abortion from a nice <laughs> little old lady? Like, what are they talking about? <laughs> Those were the days, Chris. Those were the good old days. Yeah, that's insane. That's wild. Also, again, the notebook. Remember those idyllic old days where your mother like refused to allow you to see a boy. Like, 
But that's um, like a sentimental movie. It literally goes back in time. Like, I understand that nomination. Remember it's being like, lost in your memories because you have dementia and you can't uh, recognize who your husband is? Yes, yes, it's very... Uh, I love the movies for grown-ups. They are truly a... Um, they are a major precursor award. We will, we will make sure that everybody treats them as such. But this is always one of those categories that drives me... Yeah, it's just it's so unwell and so funny. And that's what keeps them fun. Didn't they give like best buddy picture to Defy Bloods last year? Yes. <laughs> and I mean, technically, they're all buddies. It's a movie about friends. It's about friendship. They're all it's friends. A, they're all friends. So Fighting in war. You take issue dealing with, with trauma from war. I will be here. Back. Happy that somebody gave an award to Defy Bloods. Like, absolutely. No, no one else was going to do it. Our precious M4Gs did. Um, so they also got a costume designers guild for period costumes, which is combined with fantasy costumes, which is why it lost to Lemony Snicket's a series of unfortunate events, which also won the Oscar. I'm pretty sure. Cause that was the year that, uh, those awards were handed out in the aisles in the back of the theater and the poor Lemony Snicket people couldn't even step up onto an award stage. Uh, you have a thing here in our outline that it got a Grammy nomination for compilation soundtrack, and you want me to guess who the winner was. I do want you to guess the winner of the Grammy. So It because, did not win Critics' Choice uh, soundtrack for this movie, but I will say it was nominated for Critics' Choice soundtrack. So, like, this soundtrack was lovely, kind of like... Ray won as it should have. This soundtrack was, like, very celebrated, obviously, because it's, like, you know, a bunch of famos singing the Great American uh, Songbook as uh, written by Cole Porter. All right, so the Grammys are famously, their, like, eligibility window is the craziest. Where October like, to October. I will say the winner is a 2004 movie. The okay. Lovely is in there. It's 2004. There's Thank two you. other 2004 movies nominated and one 2003 nom- nominee. So you can absolutely guess what 2003 was. The 2003 soundtrack? Yes. Uh, lost, no, not lost in translation. Um, is it like Lord of the Rings? No, that no. might have been the year before. It's Cold Mountain. Oh, God, Jesus Christ, of course, because it's... Um, because you will be my aim, true love. Well, and the Grammys will be cold, cold in the ground if they don't nominate an Alison Krauss anything. Like, if Alison Krauss is involved, anything. like, they will nominate it. So, yeah. Um, and also Sting. And if it has both of them, like, step the fuck out of the way, because they will mow you down to get a, get a, a Grammy to that. Okay. <laughs> um, is the winner Garden State? It's Garden State. Ah, ha, 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 ha. Garden State has a Grammy. Congratulations on your one step to your EGOT, Zach <laughs> Wow. Yeah. He's, wow, uh, I wonder if I tried to quiz somebody if which of the four of an EGOT Zach Braff has. I don't think that they would get to... That would be a great me. trivia round, is people who only have one of the four EGOTs, and you have to guess which one. We need to build this. We do we need, need to, to talk. We need to talk about building a trivia together, because I have a great category. We should do... We should try and see if we can do a, a This Had Oscar Buzz trivia event for uh, uh, over Zoom or something like that. For, like, charity? Or just, like, to let people play. Like, I don't think we have to involve money at all. But, like, charity would also work. I love charity. Um, But, yeah, just, you know, for the fun of it. Okay. 
I love how you uh, said charity and I was like, no, wait a second. What the fuck is that? No, of course. Like, <laughs> yes, charity. Fine. Yes, of course. We love charity. Um, I'm so nervous when it comes to like money changing hands on things like that. I'm like, I do not want to be responsible for money. But yes. Um, anyway, I want to live, Chris. I just want to live. I just want us all to share resources and live. Um, yes. Well, I'm glad I guessed that one right. Is there anything else you want to talk about? About uh, good old Delivery? Um, I can't really think. I mean, like, I feel like biopics are, like, the most obvious thing for us to talk about. But, like, they can be the hardest thing to talk about. Yes. Because it's just, like, it's a lot of the same shit. It's a lot of the same shit. Did we think that Linda had the consumption in this? Like, I don't know if they ever specify what kind of... I believe Linda died of emphysema. Okay. All right. Because she definitely, definitely does the biopic thing of, like, if she coughs at the hour mark... She will be dead by that cough by the hour forty-five mark. Like, yes, that's a rule. I know this happened to a say, real person, but like, yes. Some of the movie looks really good. The final shot of this movie is stunning. It's beautiful. Wait, remind me. It's they're doing in the still of the night at the piano, and it's the two of them. Oh, and it's very like yeah. whispery, and the lights are slowly just like going down on them. It's very. It's like. You know, you want a little bit more of that theatricality in the rest of the movie in the way that we've talked about. How did we, we didn't like... really talk about um, screenwriter Jay Cox, who we should actually multiple talk Oscar nominee, Cox. both for Scorsese movies, and is like he doesn't have a lot of screenplays, but the biggest ones are all Scorsese movies. Yeah, he's one of Scorsese's kind of go-to screenwriters, sort of along with John Logan in that way. Um, mm-hmm. He has writer or co-writer on. The Age of Innocence, Gangs of New York. Gangs of New York, which was that, like, famously, like, obviously that movie went through revision after revision after revision. He is on a co- he is credited on the soundtrack along with Kenneth Lonergan and Steven Zalian. So, like, clearly that movie went through several rounds of what script is this actually going to be. And Lord knows what the arbitration was on that one. But that was what the credit ended up being. And then his most recent uh, screenplay credit for a Scorsese movie is Silence, which I remember really liking at the time. And now I wonder if that was more um, stubborn defiance over me being like, yes, I will like a Scorsese movie, just not like the one that you like, you assholes. Like, whether I was still sort of like acting out from my Wolf of Wall Street petulance or whatever, but like I remember really liking Silence, and now I don't remember very much about Silence except it's for, incredible. I remember it's a lot. That. I mean, like it's a day. It is it's, yes, even though it's like not as long as uh, other Scorsese movies. It's just like it's taxing. <laughs> it's a long time to watch Andrew Garfield waste away to nothing. Right, and I feel like that was a year. Where, because wasn't that also the same year as the Angelina Jolie movie that was also about watching handsome boys waste away to nothing? No, Unbroken was the year before. I see. Okay. Well, or two years before, maybe. Was it? God, my sense of timing is. Silence is 2016, which is the year of like, here's a bunch of two hour and 45 minute movies for you to get at the very end of the season. Well, that was also the year that like Andrew Garfield was nominated for fully the wrong movie. (laughs) Right. Because he got nominated for Hacksaw Ridge that year, which stands as his only Oscar nomination. Of course, until he gets nominated for playing Jim Baker and the eyes of Tammy Faye, which. (sighs) I cannot wait. I cannot wait. I'm so excited. (laughs) 
excited. It looks incredible. It looks absolutely incredible. I am so glad that people are on board. I was like, I'm I know, going to be I know. on an island. <laughs> and people, people are, like, are going to be like, you have bad taste because you're excited for this. And I'm going to be like, I know. Shut up. <laughs> we have established this. Uh, Jay Cox's other uh, major screenplay credit, by the way, that is not DeLovely or any of the Scorseses, is uh, Jay Cox and James Cameron are credited with the Strange Days soundtrack, which I imagine means they have a original concept by credit on this new Lisa Joy movie that looks fully like a ripoff of both Strange Days and Inception, uh, the, the Hugh Jackman thing, whose title I can never remember because it's like... One reminiscence. That's it. Reminiscence. You have to remember. The title. <laughs> yeah. Ironic, isn't reminiscence. it? Reminiscence. Yeah. Um, Strange Days is rad, though. Strange Days is like tough, but like that's a real interesting movie. Mm hmm. Angela Bassett rules in that movie. Angela Bassett is full iconique. Juliette Lewis also fucking rules uh, in that movie. Like, she is... I mean, we talked about a couple weeks ago, like, Kate Blanchett playing, like, a ripped fishnet of a character. Like, Juliette Lewis is, like, a discarded wig that you put back on your head, like, in that movie. She is... <laughs> Ah, oh, she's so fantastic. A neon unitard of a character. <laughs> I want to go back and watch Strange Days. I have too much to do this week. It's hard to get a hold of. I got it, it through my library. You and your library, man. Listen, anytime people are like, "When did you? How did you watch this movie?" I it's can't always get a hold library. Of. Support your local library. Yeah. Um, and also Netflix discs. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's my that's my secret weapon. Is where did you get that movie? Netflix discs always. That's how I'm going to see bedrooms and hallways. Thank you for reminding me of that. I'm going to add that right now. Any other notes on the lovely? Uh, all my notes are on a scandal, so I don't know if. Uh... That's my new my gems are uh, my gems are uncut uh, is uh, my notes my are notes on a scandal. On a scandal. <laughs> um, no, I. What kinda... if the notes app was just um, <laughs> instead of like the like papery looking background, it was actually in Judy Dench's handwriting in the notes app. Oh, better notes app be on a scandal. No, <laughs> okay, but that's like. That's definitely that's literally the, every scandal. That's the gay remake of uh, uh like the the gay male uh I should say remake of uh, Notes on a Scandal is Notes App on a Scandal. Excuse me, I'm going to tweet it right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh and of course Bedrooms and Hallways is not even available on Netflix discs. This is a travesty. Support your local library. <laughs> All right. Um yeah, I think that's kind of uh that's I've exhausted my uh my my quiver on uh on thoughts about the lovely. I thought it was okay. And I like I hate that like when it's that's my ultimate you know feeling on a movie because I feel like it's a cop out, but like you know L- Libya is a land of contrasts is my feeling about uh <laughs> about the lovely. All right, should we move on to the IMDb game? Hey, let's. Would you like to uh, get into the whole delightful, delicious uh, rules? 
Yeah, I would. Yes. Uh, so every week we end our episodes with something we like to call the IMDb game. How did we come up with this name? You'll never guess. Where uh, we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try and guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television, perhaps voice-only performances, perhaps a, uh, a non-acting credit for a movie that they uh, are not in as an actor. We mentioned that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles release years as a clue if that is not enough it becomes a free-for-all of hints on hints on hints and that's the imdb game honey should have made you um sing that verse absolutely not elvis costello doing uh let's misbehave wouldn't do it would not do it would not subject our uh, listeners to me doing that no i think they'd like it oh no oh they would not uh all right that's the imdb game all right, cool. Would you like to give or guess first this week, my friend? I will give first. So, okay. as we've established, I love me some Ashley Judd. I've loved Ashley Judd forever. First thing I ever saw her in is a show I mention quite a bit on this podcast, if you are a, a longtime listener. The uh, show? Did she do TV? She did. She was on the seminal NBC primetime drama Sisters, where she played, I'm pretty sure, the daughter of Susie Kurtz's character. Now, as I've mentioned many a time, uh, I'm not giving you Susie Kurtz, although I could, and that would be amazing. Um, Sisters was a show about four sisters in a small town in Illinois who have very sort of like soapy uh, goings on. And it's Swoosie Kurtz and Julianne Phillips, who at the time was basically famous for being Bruce Springsteen's ex-wife, um, and Patricia Kellember, and the woman that I am going to give you the most sort of uh, problematic slash most dramatic and wonderful, and the one who won an Emmy for her sisters, I'm going to give you Miss Celia Ward. Oh, God, I would have rather you gave me Swoosie Kurtz. Um... How much TV is it? Seal Award has to be all TV. Seal Award is no TV. <laughs> not That's Sisters. Not Now and Again. The other uh, TV show for which she has won an Emmy Award. No, it is four films. Let me look up Susie Kurtz and see if I might give you the option to uh, to to if you if if I, I give you Susie out, Kurtz, but... if I give you Susie Kurtz, we need to do like a I'll, I'll we'll do a free for all of hints on Seal Award though because like I feel like okay. you could get Seal. Susie is harder <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, but like have at it. Do Susie Kurtz? I mean, maybe I would. There's also no myself. television for Susie Kurtz. I would figure there's no television for Susie Kurtz. Um, see, it could be Cruel Intentions or Dangerous Liaisons or both. I think, uh, do I want to say both? She is in Dangerous Liaisons, right? Now I'm double-guessing myself. Um, I, we are not at the free-for-all of hints portion. Of I'm going to say both. It's one of them. It is Cruel Intentions. She is in Dangerous Liaisons, okay. but it is not on her known for. So that is one strike against you. Um, uh, Liar, Liar. Yes! I never remember her being in Liar, Liar. Who was she in Liar, Liar? She is the opposite uh, legal team in the oh, divorce. Oh, right. Thing. I do remember that. Okay. Very good. Yes. All right. So we have two. Um, 
Citizen Ruth. No, although should be, honestly. Two strikes. All right, so your remaining years are going to be 1994 and 2001. Okay, so 94 is before Liar Liar. Yes. But after Dangerous Liaisons, what was the other one you said? 2001. Which would be after Cruel Intentions. 94. Huh. Oh, wait, she... What is that movie where James Vanderbeek is bad and Jessica Biel, I think, does, like, ecstasy? Um, oh, the yeah. The Brady Sinellis movie. You're thinking that's of, the 2001 one. No, you're thinking of The Rules of Attraction. That's a 2002 movie. But mm-hmm. she's definitely in that because she and Faye Dunaway, like, get sh- schnackered on the uh, martinis. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh that sounds like a great time. It does. Um, and while they do that, their sons are like fucking each other in a hotel room. One of whom is Ian Somerhalder. Happy Pride. Yeah. God, that <sighs> movie got me so fucking horny at that age. Jesus Christ. Um. Okay, maybe I... Well, no, I, I shouldn't have stuck with Seal Award because I only had like one movie in my mind that she was in. All right. Um. Huh. Okay, I might need some help. All right, so the 1994 movie is a movie that I absolutely love. It is a, it's like, we throw the the term iconic around a lot lately, but like in terms of a movie that like crystallized an entire uh, type of person, and like it crystallized like at least two types of people in this film, um, it is... Uh, a quintessential performance for its lead actress. It um, also has an incredibly well-selling soundtrack album that like everybody owned back for then. For an actress, 1994. I'm, you're being very effusive, so I'm taking it that you like this movie. I love this movie. A lot of people don't, but I think more people Soundtracks do. in 1994 with an actress, and it's iconic for that actress. It's not clueless no clueless was 95 okay um poster because oh, yeah, it just had an anniversary poster is um is the uh the the main love triangle of this film with the woman in the middle and a man oh um uh, it's, side. it's reality bites it's reality, it's reality bites. bites it's reality bites. i should have gotten that sooner <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, like, don't make me have to go to the this actress also got an Oscar nomination that year route because that would have made it too easy. But yes, Reality Bites. Swoozy plays Winona Ryder's mother in Reality Bites. And she calls her Sugar Booger. Yeah, which is I what I, I uh, should have got it sooner. Should have got it sooner. All right. The 2001 movie I've actually never seen, although um, it was sort of heavily advertised. It was kind of, I believe it was kind of a success, but it like mostly famous for the fact that it features an actor who is like just about to blow up big. And um, in 2001, 2001. Yeah. Um, he's a one-time Oscar nominee. A lot of people feel like he should be a two-time Oscar nominee for a particular film, but not for this film. Um, this movie comes out in the same year as his other big breakthrough movies. So, like, there were two breakthrough movies. This is the one that's, like, not as respected, but I feel like, at least theatrically, more people saw. Um, 
This okay. is the comedy. The other one's like a supernatural drama. And it's a comedy hit? I mean, not like a smash, but like, I believe it made some money. Hold on, let me look up. Maybe I'm wrong. But it's like a dumb comedy because it's not respected? Oh yeah, it's real dumb. Um, oh, so it's like, is it bad? Again, I've never seen it. Um, oh, it no, it didn't make a lot of money. That's so weird. I remember it being like advertised a lot, so maybe it just like kind of flopped. And it was uh, not. It was a rotten tomato, rotten movie. Um, so I guess maybe I'm overselling it a little bit. But like, you've definitely heard about this. Like, um, based on not okay, based so on, but two like big movies. One that was not. Okay, but you looked up the money that it made. Were you wrong and the other movie made more money? Well, the other movie kind of... Let me look it up really quickly. The other movie made, like, more money, but, like, by, like, a million dollars. So, like, they both made the exact same amount of not very much money. The second movie, though, was, like, hamstrung by a confluence of world events with its release. And if you... Follow what year oh, we're talking. September 11th movie? Yes. And the the movie that Swoozie Kurtz was in was not a September 11th movie. No. That was a okay. uh, August. It was released uh, three days after my 21st birthday. Oh. You should have gone to see this. Yeah. Um, That'd have probably been fine. Uh, I imagine she plays this main character's mother in this movie. It looks like it. Yes. Um, well, it's not glitter. No. This oh, main character. This main character uh, has a specific set of circumstances about him that dovetail with an episode of Seinfeld that also had a character with this particular set of circumstances. I am outing myself as someone who hasn't seen a ton of Seinfeld. That's fine. You're you're too young. For I saw the English Patient episode and I was like, "Fuck this." Um, <laughs> Um, this great. Um, think of like, uh, I'm gonna get it. I'm gonna get it. You said it's a supernatural movie. Was it a horror movie released around 9/11? Yeah, but that's not the movie we're talking about. But yes, this actor, to... this actor's other 2001 movie was. I think this is how I'm gonna get it. Though. Was like horror inflected. There's a lot of horror tropes in it. I don't know if I would necessarily call it a horror movie per se, but like I'm sure its genre is listed as like 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 drama horror supernatural kind of a thing it's okay it's kind of an amalgam of it's like it was and very very the lead actor had these two lead roles like back to back yeah and it really like the second one like fully like that's how we got cast and like everything essentially wait it's a very brainy like it's like it has a lot of ideas is it donnie darko yeah so it's Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah. Is it fucking Bubble Boy? Yes, there, there. Follow those breadcrumbs back to Bubble Boy. Yes. I knew Donnie Darko from September 11th because yeah. I saw Donnie Darko in the theater shortly after September 11th. I, was, I, thought, I literally thought you were going to say on September 11th. I would have. No, I don't think it was released way. yet, but like no. I remember that being one of those like somber uh, movie going experiences. All right. I'm going to very quickly maybe? guide you through the, the Seal Award one. Was that shortly after September 11th? I, either way, I got there. Bubble you Boy, there. I Bubble hate Boy. you. I've never seen it. It's supposedly very either, dumb, but I but think, like... You made me think about it. All right, anyway. 
Um, all, all right, of my so clues were you. very accurate. All right. I know. Seal of War. That was very difficult. Thank you. One of which is a movie that you love, and I also love. Uh, Gone that, Girl's the only thing I can think of. That's the for one. Seal Award. Okay. She's also in a Best Picture nominee from the 90s that is what? great, that stars a massive movie star. That's one of those, like, they really don't make movies like that anymore kind of movies. Um, a winner, you said? No, a, a Best Picture nominee. Oh, a nominee. Yeah. Mm. From the early '90s, starring a massive movie star, it's like a it's like a huge like star vehicle, like crowd pleaser, blockbuster. Um, was an acting winner, but not for this. Uh, this Jerry Maguire. No. No, Jerry Maguire is more mid '90s. Yeah. Um. She plays a very pivotal role in this film, even though she's not in it very much at all. Oh, oh, okay. The Fugitive. The Fugitive. She plays uh, Harrison Ford's God, wife. God, she fugitive. was in that movie. All right. One of them, the most recent one on there, is a sequel to an incredibly successful film, but the sequel was, like, widely loathed. Hmm. Like. And it came, like, decades after the original. Uh, um, decades after. Is it... Um, it's not one of the Rockies because they... None of them were... No, really there was low. nothing in between them. This is the second film. This is the direct sequel. Oh, it's Independence Day. It's Independence Day Resurgence. I was thinking about that sequel recently. I was like, we really made a whole ass. I still never saw Day it. Sequel. She does play the president of the United States. See. She plays the president, so I approve of that. All right, the hardest one to get is from 2009. She, um, uh, I imagine she plays the mother of the main character. The main character who was like. The star of a teen soap, primetime teen soap in the in the aughts, that is very much in the ether today for reasons. Gossip Girl. Yes. The mother of like Blake Lively, no. Layton Meester. No. Chase Crawford. Nope. You're circling it. You're you're circling the parking lot. That open space Ew. is available to you somewhere. Who? Who else? Who else? You've, you're you've literally you've got one more to go. Like that's you've named three of the four leads of that show. Who have I forgotten? The other guy. Yeah. What's his name? The titular gossip girl. Ah, uh, not the go piss girl. <laughs> that weird meme for how long? <laughs> um, you know who he is. You know his name. Uh, it's not coming to me. What is his name? Penn Badgley. Penn Badgley. Wouldn't have guessed that in a million years. Yes, you would have. All right. Um, I, I didn't watch that show. Still. Again, I'm outing myself on, you know, having a certain blind spot. Um, All right. So this movie was the, a remake of a, uh, a horror thriller from... I want to say, like, if not the late 70s, maybe early 80s or whatever, um, that had starred Terry O'Quinn. 
Oh, oh, the stepfather. Stepfather. Remember the remake of the stepfather? Oh, it was eighty-seven. I guess it was not as old as I thought. Um, you see Terry Quinn's penis in that movie? Really? You do. Never saw it. All right. Yeah. So, uh, Seal Ward plays Ben Pen Badgley's mother in the remake of the stepfather that is somehow in her known for and not again either of the two shows that she's won Emmy awards for: Justice for Television. Uh, also, not the day after tomorrow, which was a a big hit and b. She has no smaller of a role in that movie as she does in probably The Stepfather. Like, I don't know. What else could it be on Seal Awards? A 54? I mean, this had Oscar Buzz uh, certified uh, film 54 that she's in. Uh, What else? Seal Awards and so much. I'm glad Gone Girl's on there, though, because she is one of... Yeah, she's great. Like... Every performance in that movie is perfect. I, I'm not going to say she's like one of a few perfect performances in that movie. No, but like, like everyone in that movie is exactly who they should be. Gone Girl is they understood the assignment, the movie. Like everybody in that 1, movie, thousand. including David Fincher, like everybody like is exactly like that is a feat of everybody being on the same page. I will say that. People who say that it's the best Fincher movie are not wrong. I mean... I don't know if I'm equipped to list the best Fincher movies at this point. Like, that's going to take a lot of sitting down and thinking. But, like, is up there. Is real up there. Zodiac exists. So I don't know if I would be yeah, able to I mean, Zodiac is, is, is the one. Yeah. But, like, yeah. Is up Catch there. me on the right day. And, yeah. You know, I should watch that movie Gone again Girl soon. Gone Girl. Like, I deserve another Gone Girl watch. All right. Anyway, give me your, uh, give me your IMDb game selection. I um naturally went back to the Lilith Fair lineup. Oh, God to bless find you. Someone for you. However, I did not go as evil as Celia Ward or Swoozie Kurtz on you. Um, I uh, I went with someone who is actually a star as well as a musician. Thought we had done this, but apparently we have not. Uh, for you, I have chosen one of the Lilith Fair headliners, Queen Latifah. Oh, fascinating. All film. All films. All right. Well, Chicago. Chicago. Her Oscar nomination. All right. Bringing Down the House. Bringing Down the House, which she is also listed as a producer for. Right. Sure. All right. People forget, I mean, like, we don't talk about that movie, and mostly because it's horrible and really offensive, but, like, that movie made a shit ton of money. Oh, it made so much money. It was such a huge hit. Was there a sequel? There was, right? I think so. I think so. I think it was that kind of a hit. You know, honestly, though, you know who made a lot of fucking hit movies that we kind of scratch our head at? Is Steve Martin. Like, Steve Martin's Mm -hmm. movies, he was bankable for a very long time. It's really surprising. Justice for House Sitter. Oh, I was talking about that movie just the other day. Who was I talking to? I think I was talking to Matt Jacobs and Kevin Fallon about that, about how I had a VHS tape that when I had uh, HBO Free Preview Weekend, I had recorded Sister Act and House Sitter on. And it was my, one of my most beloved oh my VHS God, tapes. Oh my God, that's like a perfect, like... It's a perfect tape. Everybody doing like drive-ins on their patios or on their balconies. Like that's the drive-in that you and I need. We need to see Sister Act and um, House Sitter. I need to together. recreate that experience. Pairing. Yes. All perfect right. pairing. Um, okay. You would show Sister no Act guesses. first, and then uh, and then uh, and then House Sitter. Yeah. All right. Um, all right. So I'm going to. I'm not fully confident in this, but I'm going to guess Girls Trip. No. Damn it. Great guess, though. Yeah. 
It absolutely should be there. <laughs> it should be there. That's what I should treat myself with soon and rewatch that. Yeah. That movie makes me happy. Booty hole. All right. Um, Queen Latifah. All right. Um, Can't give you any hints because you only have one wrong guess so far. Is Set It Off one of them? No. Damn. Set It Off should also be on there. Yeah. Um, so your years are 2004 and 2007. Okay. Is one of them The Secret Life of Bees? No. Does that even match up with any of those two years? Uh, let me look. <laughs> I will say, like, you, I'm sure people are screaming at you. There is, there is an IMDb There's a very games. obvious one. There is a oh, very obvious one. Oh, of course one. it is. It's Hairspray. It's Hairspray. Everybody's, everybody on the everybody Hairspray, 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 hairspray of course. Before. Yes, yes, yes. It was staring me in the face. I knew I would get it eventually. All right, 2004. Um, I'm trying to find Secret Life of Bees. That might have been 08, so actually. I need to see The Secret Life of Bees. Do you? Yes, it is 08. Okay. So we're still doing 2004. You've mentioned multiple movies that should be on her known for, (laughs) that are great movies. This movie should not be on this known for. It's not Taxi, is it? I regret to inform you that it's Taxi. Wow! Taxi. Jesus. You know what movie made some money? Taxi. Yeah. Taxi. Yeah. I don't think it made, like... No. Huge money. Well, wait. Th- maybe this is the episode where we talk about, like, that movie made money. Like, Bubble Boy made money, right? And no. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, hold on. Let me see what Taxi says it made. No, it it has a $70 million worldwide gross. It did not make money. <laughs> we are, I mean, probably we are knocking it out of the park this, uh, this Pride weekend, my friend. We are showing ourselves to be... Uh, on the ball. On the ball. Listen, we don't know straight culture. We don't know Taxi. We don't know Bubble Boy. Uh, you know, that is outside of our veil of experience. Our Queen Latifah is in Set It Off and Girl Strip. And Living Out Loud. Living Out Loud is wonderful. Yep. That movie is good. There's a whole lesbian dance sequence that Holly Hunter does choreography to. What else do you want? Some say that cellar door is the most beautiful phrase in the English language. I say lesbian dance sequence is the uh, is the most beautiful phrase. <laughs> Speaking of Donnie Darko, uh, that's Drew Barrymore. Get off the stage, Sharita. Drew Barrymore saying cellar door is. Uh, <laughs> I was watching, I was, of course, home on Friday night of Pride Weekend, of course, last night, and I was watching the Daytime Emmy Awards as uh, while I was trying to work, and I just sort of had it on the background, and then I just ended up watching the Daytime Emmy Awards. Um, and they, in addition to showing, like, clips from the nominees, they were showing, like, clips from, like, the year in daytime or whatever, and one of them was the clip from the Drew Barrymore show, where uh, it was her birthday, and, like, Savannah Guthrie is doing, like, guess who's next, like, wishing you happy birthday, and they were talking about her work in E.T. And have you seen this clip where... Uh, yes, where Steven Spielberg comes on and is like, I want you to direct more. I love Whip It so much. Right. Oh, yes. The taste, by the way, jumped out of Steven right there. Uh, but before he comes on, they're talking about E.T. and whatever. And then Savannah goes, do you have any guesses as to who is the next person to come say happy birthday to you? And Drew just like starts weeping and goes... He, um... Yeah, he's like the first person I knew cared. He does care. Can you venture a guess about who is about to join us right now? 
first person that cared about me. Yeah. And just like fully loses it. And it's the greatest. It's so the Drew Barrymore show is a goddamn experience. I've never watched a full episode, but just like just existing in clip form is good enough for me. Like it's good enough for culture. Anyway, I think that's our episode. Yeah. If you want more of this head Oscar buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thisheadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You can also find us saying let's misbehave on Twitter at had underscore Oscar <laughs> underscore buzz. Uh, Joe, tell our lovely listeners where they can um, find your delightful, de lovely, delicious. Hey, listeners, let's do it. Let's follow me on Twitter. I am uh, there at Joe Reed. Reed is spelled R-E-I-D. I am also on Letterboxd as Joe Reed, spelled the exact same way. Uh, and I am also on Twitter and Letterbox at Chris v. File. That's F-E-I-L. We'd also like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and David Gonzalez and Gavin Medias for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate, like, and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get your podcasts, even Apple's dog shit app right now. <laughs> um, however, if you would like to go on that app and uh, leave a five-star review in particular, it really helps us out with the visibility. So uh, tell us that every time we say goodbye, you die a little by leaving us a review. That's all for this week, but we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz. Bye. Bye.